Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylock. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Today, we're going to focus on another listener question. Now, we really appreciate your questions as they often give us good materials for these lessons. You know, kingdom seekers always ask the best questions. Okay, Jordan. So this question comes from Luann, who writes, What happens to a person's soul at the judgment seat of Christ if it does not go into the kingdom? In other words, what she's asking, Jordan, is what happens to people who are disqualified at the Bema seat? Because of the doctrine of assurance, we know they don't go to hell. So where will they go? It's a great question, Andy. And, you know, the short answer is that the Bible speaks of several places for disqualified souls. These include Gehenna, the outer darkness, and the blackest darkness. So we're going to briefly cover all three in this lesson. Okay, everybody, join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Two readings from the Gospel of Matthew. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13. Now, turning back to chapter 5, Jesus said, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That was Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. And finally, turning to the book of Jude, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That was Jude 1, verses 12 and 13. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Okay, two quick notes before we get into this. First, the word forever in Jude 1 is literally for an eon or for an age in the Greek. We believe this speaks of the kingdom age or the thousand-year eon during which King Jesus will reign. Contrary to most interpretations, we don't believe this means punishment forever. When the Bible speaks of eternal punishment, as when it speaks of the lake of fire in Revelation 20.10, it uses the phrase forever and ever, or for ages and ages. 
Second, in Matthew 5, the word translated hell is actually the word Gehenna in the original language. Now, we did a whole series on Gehenna, but Andy, maybe you can do a quick refresher for our listeners. Sure thing. So, Gehenna was actually the burning garbage heap outside the holy city of Jerusalem. Jesus used it as a metaphor for a place of punishment. But importantly, it's not the same as Hades, the place of the dead, which was known as Sheol to Jews, and it's not the lake of fire mentioned in Revelation. No, this place is a place of punishment for believers. And we know this because if we apply the space method to Matthew 5, a part of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus was teaching his disciples who had believed in him and were most certainly saved. And again, I'm sure all of our frequent listeners know the space method is an acronym, but just in case, uh, the SP is for speaker, the A for audience, the C for context, and then the E, the explanation follows. It's just to remind us to always focus on speaker audience context before we attempt an interpretation of scripture. And the part of the space method that would apply there is if you look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowds are you know down below or are also within earshot, but mainly his lessons of the Sermon on the Mount are to his disciples. So while we're discussing the Bible in its original languages, I should also mention something important about the phrases outer darkness and blackest darkness. We cover this in another lesson as well that's called Outside of the Lighted Palace. You can look that up in our podcast archive or on our website. But um, that's actually what the phrase outer darkness means. It means the darkness outside the limits of the lighted palace, according to Strong's. And by lighted palace, they mean the Messiah's kingdom. So the outer darkness isn't some faraway place. It's a place right outside of the light of Christ's millennial kingdom. You know, the Greek word there is skatas, which is coming from the root word skia, which means shade or shadiness. And Jude uses that same word. So the verse we read could also be translated you know, the blackest part of the shade outside of Christ's kingdom. You know, Jordan, I like that word shadiness when used in the context of describing a Christian's character. It could be a good way to daily judge oneself to see whether or not our actions actually deserve punishment. For instance, I could ask myself, can what I just do, no, can what I just did make me seem like a shady Christian? The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So the point of all this is that there are different places outside the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, suggesting that there's different levels of punishment. This makes sense in scriptural context because the verses that we read speak of different ways of losing one's inheritance or, in other words, being disqualified. So let's break down today's scripture, starting with what seems to be the most basic level. Matthew 22, verses 11 to 13. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, thanks, Andy. So this is from the parable of the marriage feast or the wedding feast, depending on uh, which translation you're reading. 
And the parable prophesies Israel's rejection of its Messiah and the subsequent ingrafting of the Gentiles, the adoption of the Gentiles. And the part that you just read, Andy, is the end, which has a deeper message encoded within it. It's really a cautionary tale about failing to produce for God. You know, people in ancient Israel sewed their own wedding clothes, so garments here are a type or symbol of our righteous works. And not having any wedding clothes is a type of someone who does not produce good works for God after salvation. That's critical. At judgment, which is symbolized here by the king looking over the guests, he is discovered. And notice what happens to him before he is kicked out of the kingdom. He is bound hand and foot. And this symbolizes that he will no longer be able to do any works. There is nothing he can do now to try to earn his way back into the kingdom. Agreed, Jordan. The words that stand out for me here are, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible teaches us through the example of Esau that he, the twin of Jacob and the eldest son of Isaac, wept and gnashed his teeth when he found out that he lost his inheritance. You know, keep in mind, Esau was born as a son of Isaac and would always remain his son. But because of his desire to feed the flesh and his indifference of the inheritance, God saw to it that he lost his birthright which was the double portion that a firstborn son would have received. And of course, you can read up on this story in detail in Genesis chapters 25, 26, and 27. Now, the New Testament reviews this story in the context of a warning to Christians to never despise their birthright. And you could see that in Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. Unfortunately, in regard to Matthew 22, most Christians breeze by these words and then kind of automatically create the hypothesis that this Christian went from sneaking into the wedding chamber and then was thrown into hell for his lack of works. But this goes against scripture and sound biblical doctrine. I immediately think of John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, where Jesus tells us, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish nor shall anyone snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. And also Romans 8, 38-39, where Paul tells us, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities nor powers, neither things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Those are great verses, Andy. Great verses of assurance. Okay, so moving on to Matthew five twenty nine to 30, Jesus says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into, and the word is Gehenna. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna again. Now, these verses seem a little harsh because the word stumble, you know, it seems minor, while having your whole body go into a fiery garbage pit seems like a major thing. You know, the Mark version of his teaching goes on to describe Gehenna as a place where, quote, the worm does not die and the thirst is not quenched. That's Mark 9.48. So it sounds a lot like our popular conception of hell. 
But again, it's important to remember that Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples here, and they were definitely saved. As you read earlier in John 10, Andy, you know, there's no denying that. And he couldn't have been talking about loss of salvation because they had also heard him say, as you just quoted again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Again, that's John 10, 27 and 28. So the question becomes, Andy, how do we reconcile this? As sheep, we can't go to the lake of fire, but we can go to a place that's kind of like hell if we stumble. Well, first of all, Jordan, we need to draw a line in between the shade or skotos, as mentioned in Matthew 22, and Gehenna mentioned here in Matthew 5. The shade, also called outer darkness in Matthew, refers to the heartbreak a Christian will endure for 1,000 years after finding out that at the Bema seat, when they get judged for their works, that they missed receiving the inheritance to come back and rule and reign with Christ on earth. Gehenna is reserved for apostates who willingly sin against God with disregard. They do not exercise repentance or confessions of sins. In the case of Matthew 5, Jesus speaks of Gehenna as a warning to instill fear into their hearts. So keep in mind, Gehenna will be a place of fire. However, it will not be as the lake of fire and brimstone. No, it will be a refining fire which will serve to purify the hearts and minds, and in this case, the bodies of these apostate Christians. You know, Jesus warns that the sinful nature of the eye can cause a Christian to apostate. And he also warns that the hands themselves can also do the same. Jesus was speaking in an extreme literal sense. By reasoning it would be better for us to crucify the flesh and its desires rather than risk losing our inheritance. And if our eyes or hands in any imaginable way cause us to hurt our chances of entering the kingdom of heaven, then we would be better off without them. Yeah, and and there's so many ways to dwell on that, Andy. You you can do it just numerically, obviously. The human lifespan is, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get up to 90, 100 years versus a thousand years in the kingdom. So there is that numeric 10 times comparison. But then also just obviously, if you're receiving your inheritance in the kingdom, that that inheritance, that reward is eternal and it goes on forever, whereas life becomes just a drop in the bucket compared to it. So, you know, obviously the disciples and the apostles later on would eventually go on to give their physical lives for Christ anyway. So, you know, cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye, which of course are extreme metaphors um, that he was speaking of, uh, you know, is going to you know, in some ways, pale in comparison to some of the ways that they died, even giving up their flesh exactly. um, for, for that eternity. And it may also be that Gehenna is mainly reserved for those who actively work against believers trying to qualify for or enter into the kingdom. And the reason I say that is in the eight woes against the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, Jesus begins by saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter into your for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Emphasis on the allow those who are entering to go in. That's verse 13 of Matthew 23. And he concludes by saying, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Or more literally, the judgment of Gehenna. And that's verse 33. And that brings us to our last reading from Jude. Andy, could you read Jude 1, 12 to 13, please? Yes. These are the men who are hidden reefs 
in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So here we need to apply a little bit of context using the sea and the space method again to see about whom Jude is speaking. In verse 4, we read, quote, Certain persons have crept in unnoticed among you, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, which just means sins of the flesh, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These are the people about whom Jude is speaking, either early Gnostics, which were people that denied Christ's physical death, or other types of heretics, or those who brought pagan sexual customs into the church, or maybe both of these and more. I mean, you know, you, you can go deeper in a Bible commentary and, and look up a Bible historian to find out what was going on at that time, but all these things were attacking the early church. So, you know, Jude compares these false teachers to those the Lord destroyed in the wilderness for unfaithfulness. And he uses several other comparisons, such as saying they have, quote, gone the way of Cain, which of course is Abel's murderous brother in Genesis. What's important to note, in each case, he is talking about those who were of God and with God and then went astray. For example, speaking of unfaithful Israelites, he writes in verse 5 that, quote, the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, end quote. And the key phrasing there is, after saving them, he destroyed them. Yeah, without understanding the doctrine of assurance, it is inevitable that Christians will misconstrue the message that Jesus is trying to convey to Christians. But there's no doubt we as Christians have been chosen by God himself to believe in his son and be saved. And then not only that, but remain saved. And according to scripture, we're saved by Jesus's finished work on the cross. That work paid for all sin in full, all sin that ever was and ever will be. The penalty of sin being separated from God is done away with. So I often say that people will not end up in the lake of fire because of sin, but because they did not accept Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as their propitiation for sin, the replacement, the fulfillment of that particular condemnation. The judgments Jesus speaks of to believers will one day be to teach wayward Christians a lesson and to perfect them. You know, you think of a child that breaks a rule, which leads his parents to put him in time out. You know, it's a common way of, of judging children today and teaching them a lesson. But as per God, that time out for these particular Christians will be for 1,000 years. Could you imagine? Okay, so today we sought to answer the question, what happens to a person's soul at the judgment seat of Christ if it does not go into the kingdom? And we came up with three different answers. One, it goes into the outer darkness. Two, it goes into the blackest part of the outer darkness. Or three, it goes into Gehenna. These seem to be levels of separation and punishment based on the believer's degree of failure and participation in evil works. But there are two things we need to add and that we need to remember. First, as the Apostle Paul explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, no judgment fire can burn below the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Even one who has nothing but evil works to show for himself on judgment day and must therefore, quote-unquote, suffer lost, 
he himself will be saved, yes, so as through fire. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 15. Second, one day, all who suffered outside of the kingdom will be restored when the first things pass away and God the Father will reign. And at that time, according to Revelations 21, 4, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. That's the truth of the assurance all believers have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is our lesson. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you all. Thank you so much for your support. Finally, we also like to take time at the end of the show to promote other ministries whose missions we support. You've heard us talk about Friends of Israel, Got Questions, and the Blue Letter Bible. This week, we'd like to do something a little different and tell you about a regional ministry that benefits children who have suffered significant trauma from abuse and neglect. The ministry is the Louisiana Methodist Children's Home. If you have a heart for helping children who are in desperate need of God's love, then this is the ministry for you. As Jesus taught us, Whatever we do to the least of those among us, we have done to him. That's Matthew 25, 31-46. On October 5th, the Children's Home will hold its only major fundraising event of the year, with all proceeds benefiting these children. We know they would be grateful for any support that you can provide. To find out more, visit them online at lumcfs.org. That's L-U-M, as in Louisiana United Methodist, then CFS, as in Children Family Services, dot O-R-G, L-U-M-C-F-S dot org. Or call 985-860-5247. That's 985-860-5247. Thank you and God bless. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. of the Kingdom Incorporated.